morning, 1115. It's good to see you guys. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors. We have a lot to cover today because we're getting into the heavy stuff of Revelation. I hope you're ready. If you've got a Bible or an app or the outline, you're going to need that. Uh, so much of what we're talking about actually focuses on a little piece of real estate on the other side of the world called Israel. Uh, we've taken a team to Israel before. My wife and I had the privilege of going. If you would like to walk down the center of the valley of Megiddo where Armageddon will take place, if you would like to get up early one morning and walk the Via Dolorosa where Jesus carried his cross, I'd like to invite you to come to Israel with me. We'll be going April 26th through May the 6th of next year. There'll be an informational meeting next Sunday morning. So many of you probably have that on your bucket list, and I'd like to invite you to come for a walk where Jesus walked. I think it will just turn the lights on in a whole different way. Okay, let's get busy. So my part-time high school job was working as a dishwasher at Brandon University, and the university went in a bit of a tailspin when we were told that the Queen of England was actually coming to dedicate a music building that had been named in her honor. And I got to be a part of those preparations, getting ready for the Queen, and when the Queen arrived, it was a big deal. Lots of anticipation, lots of security, this big long motorcade pulled up right in front of the building, and, and I was standing there, and this was my first face-to-face and counter with royalty. And the door opened and out came this very tiny little British lady um, who was wearing a very conservative pantsuit. And she, she waved at everyone and walked inside of the building. And 90 minutes later, she came back out again and waved to everybody, got back in the car and left. And I remember standing there as a high school student going, meh, I'm not impressed. <laughs> I think I could take her. Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head, right? I'm just... I'm like, my prayer is this. My prayer is when we get done Revelation 4 and 5 today, that that will not be your response. I hope and pray when we get done today, you don't go, yeah, just royalty. But instead, your life and your heart will be changed. We have finished the letters to the churches, which has been, you know, you kind of wade through that material. And now it's going to get interesting. Over the next weeks, we're going to unpack 21 cyclical judgments that are coming against people, okay, caveat here, that are coming against the people of the earth who choose to reject God. Okay, but, but, before God gives us a view of what is to come, He wants us to have a clear picture of what is. So we're going to focus in on the throne room of God today, knowing that over the next weeks, when we get all caught up in the judgments and the four horsemen and the antichrist and the prophet and the dragon and all this other crazy stuff, that when we get ready to lose our mind, we're going to come running back to the throne room of God, because this is the place where the hope comes from. God wants us to have a clear picture in our minds of Him. Because when you have a picture of the God who controls and writes the future, you don't freak out when it comes to talking about the future. Pastor Frank read to you sections of Revelation 4 and 5. It was on purpose that you could not clearly see Frank. We wanted you to follow his words and create an image in your mind. He read these words, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet and said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Seated on them were 24 elders dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. 
In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. We learned a couple of weeks ago. That's a representation of the Holy Spirit which swirls around the throne in perfect equality with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, and in front of the throne there was also what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center of the, around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had the face like a man, the fourth was flying like an eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings covered with eyes all around and even under its wings. I'm walking through Pike Place Market once and I run into one of the street preachers who frequents that particular area. And he spent an inordinate amount of time trying to convince me that God is both see-through and red. And he built an entire theology around it, why I needed to be convinced that God was crystal clear. You could see right through him, but at the same time, he was red. So let me reinforce something with you so you don't end up preaching bad theology in Pike Place Market, okay? (laughs) All through Revelation 4 and 5, John keeps using words. Using the words, had the appearance, resembled, or what looked like, it means John is struggling to describe the indescribable. He's doing the best he can with human words, but I mean, what we're going to walk through today defies human language, and I'm going to attempt to do it justice. So John sees a vision of a person sitting on a throne who appears to be like Jasper stone. Jasper actually is red. So get that picture. It's kind of like that, and also red like a ruby. So he's doing the best he can to have people understand what it looks like, and it's encircled with an emerald green rainbow, which is then encircled as well with an ocean, a sea that appears to be made out of crystal, okay? And we can get so caught up in that, okay, like, so God is red, and and red means this, and red means that, and then here's the crystal sea, and we can get so caught up in that, but I want you to notice something more important. Notice the position of the throne, It's central. The one who sits on the throne is central. Let me say some very bold things. If Jesus is not central in your life, your life is worthless. If Jesus is not central in your business, your business is worthless. If Jesus is not central in your marriage, your marriage is futile. If Jesus is not central in your science, your science is worthless because it doesn't recognize the mastery of the creator that actually made that science. If Jesus is not central in your politics, your politics are worthless because ultimately it's a man-made system and at some point it's going to fail. If Jesus is not central in your philosophy, your philosophy is worthless because it will always end up with you on the center of the throne of your life, and it will place you as the king of your own universe. If Jesus is not central in your history, your history is worthless because it's deemed or doomed to repeat itself. If Jesus is not central in your relationship with your children, that relationship is worthless because you care about them now. My question is, what about eternity? I know that's big stuff. There's a bold truth being taught here. Jesus must be central in everything or it's worthless. Can I get an amen from the 1115? He's got to be in the center of everything or it's worthless. So where is Jesus in the center of heaven right now? He's in the center. And we're going to try and keep him there all morning long. Surrounded by 24 elders and four living creatures. Let's talk about them for a moment, okay? Who are the 24 elders and what are the four living creatures? Okay, let's talk about the identity of the 24 elders. And before we start, everybody ready? Open your hand. Okay? 
Take a big, deep breath. There are so many different opinions held by so many different people on the identity of these worship leaders, but that's the most important part. They're worship leaders. The elders of heaven are leading in worship. And that translates right here, right now, to the guy with the microphone. Because as humbling as it is for me to say, I'm a human, quote-unquote, elder at Christ the King, and apparent, according to this particular passage, my job description is to lead you into a greater worship of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you don't see Jesus after church, I will have wasted your time. And my Bible says I will be held accountable for that. So my job today is to hold up a great big mirror so that every time you look this direction, your gaze is literally bounced straight up towards heaven itself. So in heaven, there are 24 elders leading in worship. Some have suggested that this is a combination of Old Testament patriarchs and New Testament apostles. So that, uh, you know, 12 of them are made up of like David and Joshua and Moses and Abraham and Noah. And that the other 12 are made up of, of New Testament leaders, Peter, James, John, maybe, maybe the Apostle Paul. Some people hold that view. Others have suggested that this is an angelic guard, like a security system around the throne room of God. Now, there's a problem with that particular perspective because the word here for elder is presbyteros, which we get our word presbytery or presbytery or presbyterian out of. The problem with that particular interpretation is that word is only used in regards to human beings. It's never used in conjunction with angels, okay? Other people have suggested that this is a combination of Jews and Gentiles, a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 non-Jews as well, just God's way of saying, I came to redeem both Jew and Gentile, and I want to call them all into heaven. Here is Grant's position. I don't know. I don't know exactly who they are. But it does appear to be deeply connected to the redeemed of God through all of human history. Somehow you cannot deny the fact that these worshipers are representative of every human being that at some level was saved by their belief in God and that God pulled them towards himself. So we got 24 elders and they're joined by four living creatures and they're covered with eyes. It's kind of freaky, isn't it? They're covered with eyes and they're watching you from every angle at the same time. That's just like, that's just strange, okay? So what's the identity of the living creatures? Well, it seems like the faces of these creatures give us some kind of indication as to who they are. Now, once again, keep your hand open, all right? It seems like they are representative somehow of the character of God himself. It says one of them looks like a lion, and we know a lion is known for majesty, royalty, the quote-unquote king of the jungle. Another one has the face of an ox. An ox is known as the most faithful animal and helper with regards to harvest and planting. There's some spiritual themes there. One says has the face of a man. Some people would interpret and say what God is saying here is that a part of his character is represented in the intelligence of a man. <laughs> I don't think so on that one. I mean, I know me. I'm the worst sinner I know when it comes to making good choices. I can be just downright stupid. I don't believe that that is that representation. I do see it this way, though. In every single one of your hearts, the thumbprint of the Almighty has been placed on your soul because you were all created in the image of God Himself. 
And then, of course, there's the picture of the eagle, which always, throughout Scripture, carries with it the idea of either the prophetic or the sovereignty of God. Somehow, you can't deny that these four living creatures are the embodiment of God's very character around the throne. Now, once again, I don't know any of this for sure, and neither do you. You can argue with me all you want to. Here's my point in all this, okay? What are or who the elders and living creatures are is not nearly as important as what they are doing or saying. Okay? What they represent is not nearly as important as what's coming out of their mouth. Listen to what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy. Our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Okay? In this moment of Scripture, royalty has arrived and taken his proper place on the throne. Let me tell you what's not happening. Jesus is not scrambling out of his motorcade. We're not looking and going, that's a nice outfit you're wearing there. Wow, look, you're a, nice little, you're a nice little king. That is not what is happening in this moment. In this moment, royalty has arrived, and the elders and the creatures, the closest circle around the throne room, they're leading in worship, and they're making bold proclamations about God. Bold proclamations. Did you hear what they said? They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They could have said anything. They could have said faithful, faithful, faithful. They could have said true, true, true. They could have said big, big, big. They could have said anything they wanted to, but they said holy, holy, holy. Why is that important? Because the holiness of God is what distinguishes our king from any other king that ever has been and any other king that ever will be. It's his holiness. So they're teaching us. God is holy. That's what verse 8 said. He's set apart in his perfection. He's perfect. He has no defect, no blemish. God is not wrong. He's pristine in his judgment and he's generous in his love. I would describe God to you, but there are no human words to describe the perfection of who God is. Secondly, they teach us that he's God as eternal. It's the last part of verse 8 and the first part of 9. They worship him who lives forever and ever and ever. They keep saying that over and over and over again. What are they saying? They're saying God has no beginning and, or end, which is important to us because I don't know if you know this or not, but as a human being, you have a beginning, you have an end. God is outside of that. He eternally always has been. He eternally always has and always, always will be. So when you look at your life and say, I've got a beginning and an end, this is unbelievably good news. God says you can take the fact that you have an end and exchange it for his eternity and actually live forever. That's a nice upgrade. God says if you have eternity with me, I will take my, the fact that I have no end and I will gift that to you. And I will welcome you into an eternity with me. What's that mean? It means this. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Fall down and worship at the feet of Jesus. Receive that eternal gift and come and celebrate this moment with all those who've walked with God. Thirdly, they're teaching us that God is worthy. 
Why is it important for us to know that God is worthy? Make sure you pay attention to this, okay? God is God and you are not. <laughs> I have to remind myself of that all the time. You know why? Because I don't believe I'm the only human being in the face or in this particular room today that struggles with the, the idea and the, and the practicality of getting back on the throne of my own life. I don't know about you, but I can get back up on that throne in an instant if you give me an opportunity. God is reminding us. We are not worthy in and of ourselves. Jesus is worthy, so we need to say that to ourselves over and over again. In fact, that would be a good thing to write down so you never forget it. God is God and I am not. Amen. He is worthy, I am not. And finally, God is the true source of everything. The angels cry out and say, everything that is is created by you, sustained by you, held together by you, managed by you, gifted by you, and taken by you. I mean, God is in unbelievably meticulous control. God knew that Whatcom County would be touched with 77 raindrops last night. <laughs> he knew that. He counted every single one of them. He knows if we've gotten 17 more since last night. He is that meticulous because everything is held together by Him. Some of you will respond, I don't believe that. I would say this respectfully to you. That is your prerogative. And God will respect your rejection of Him as the true source of everything. C.S. Lewis once said that there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Then Thy will be done. If you're going to choose, choose this. Choose this moment as the goal of your life. Choose seeing God in everything. Choose God as the central focal point of your conversation, your science, your history, your pursuit of philosophy. Choose God there. The Bible goes on. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. So he's sending us a message again. All equal. The Trinity in its completion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all together, one in three, three in one. I'd love to try and explain it to you. There are no words. I would ask you a question. If you can explain God, what kind of God do you have? He's outside of that. Verse 7, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Let me explain this. Okay, a sealed scroll in ancient times was an important document. When royalty or authority would, would seal a scroll, only someone of equal royal authority or the person to whom it was written was able to break that seal without an unbelievable penalty coming against them. 
And John is distraught because this royal decree from heaven has arrived in his vision and nobody can open it. Now think about that for a second. If, if the 24 elders are the Old Testament patriarchs and the New Testament apostles, you'd think one of those guys could pull that off, right? King David, Moses, Abraham, Paul, Peter. Not one of them is good enough. Not one. No human in all of human history has the authority or the position to be able to open those seals. Save one. One has the authority to open them. Only Jesus is good enough to open the scroll. So who is worthy to open the scroll? Only Jesus is worthy. And he comes in two forms. He comes as a lion, symbolizing his power and his authority. I love that picture. Had the opportunity to travel to Africa several years ago. We went over there to look at the... the um, to look at the orphanage that you as a church built for the children in Tanzania. Had an opportunity to go there on a couple different occasions. Had an opportunity to go on a safari. You know, no cages, no bars, just animals and you. That's how it works, right? And the only thing between me and the animals was this little steel door on the side of the truck, which seemed unbelievably flimsy in light of the animals that I was seeing. And we're driving around, and all of a sudden the guide goes, there's a lion, and from here to the cameras, away from me, is a lion sitting on the top of a rock, okay? We're not in a zoo. There's nothing between me and him except this flimsy little metal door. And he's just looking at me. Like, which portion should I eat first? That's what he's committing. He's staring right through me, making me feel small, making me feel weak. And then just for kicks and show, he roared. I just about wet myself, and that is not an exaggeration. I mean, it was intense. He's like, Rah! whoa. I love that picture of the king of kings. Forget the king of the jungle. The king of the universe in his majesty, in his authority, communicating to us, I'm in charge. You could be nothing if I chose to make it that way. I have all authority you have no authority. But I've chosen to limit myself and to give you something you don't deserve. Grace. Now that's not the only picture. The Bible says one of the elders tells John, don't freak out, the Lion of Judah has triumphed. So you can just see John going, oh, awesome, looking up, expecting, roar, and instead he gets, meh. <laughs> what? He sees a lamb symbolizing his submission to God's will. Got a question for you, church. What did Jesus pray in the garden? Not my will, but yours be done. The lamb symbolizes so much in Scripture. If you come to Israel with me, you will hear it over and over again. The lamb this, the lamb that. It's just, it's a central theme all through Scripture. In ancient Israel, a family would take a lamb, a spotless lamb. They would purchase it. I learned something the last time I was in Israel. They didn't just go to the market, purchase a lamb to be sacrificed at the temple. They went and purchased a lamb, and then they brought it home for four days. And the lamb would sleep with them and eat with them. 
part of their family. And then they would take it to the temple to be sacrificed. And if that bothers you, it should. Why? Why would God ask that? Let me make it simple for you. Because sin hurts. Sin hurts God. Sin hurts you. Sin hurts the people that love you. Are we speaking truth right now? Sin hurts. It hurts. For centuries, sin would cover, or sin would would demand blood, and the blood of innocent lambs would, would cover the sins of the people. And then Jesus came and said, no more blood. No more sacrifice. No more innocent lambs. No, instead, there'll be one sacrifice for all. My blood for your sin for all of eternity. That's why there's a cross in this church, to remind us continuously. That the Lamb of God came and took away the sin of the world. So the Lamb comes to open the scroll of God's decree, of God's judgment. And the response of the elders and the creatures is to fall on their face and worship. It's a beautiful picture. Can you just see it in your mind's eye just a little bit? I've spent the whole week reading through Revelation 4 and 5, 4 and 5 backwards. And there's a little tiny detail in here. I went right over top of it the first three or four times. I kept missing it. I don't want you to miss it. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 says this. When he had taken the scroll, so the lamb comes and takes the scroll from the one who is on the throne. He's being encircled by the seven spirits of God. Why? Because they're all equal. God the, Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Lamb comes and takes the scroll. And the Bible says this, when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Stop there. According to my Bible... God's a collector. Psalm 56 verse 8 says that God collects tears. If you've ever shed a tear and are a follower of Jesus, that tear meant so much to the King of Kings that he kept it. I have contributed greatly to that collection in heaven. (laughs) He loves you that much. It says God collects tears, and according to Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, He also collects prayers. Every prayer that you've ever prayed, God kept. Your prayers are so precious, He takes them and puts them in golden bowls and entrusts them to the 24 elders who are encircled around His throne. You understand that? Like a shoebox full of old love letters or keepsakes. God puts all of your prayers in a golden keepsake bowl because your prayer means so much to Him. Don't you love knowing that your God is so meticulous that every prayer you've ever had the courage to just let dribble out over top of your lips was captured in the hands of the Holy Spirit, taken to heaven and deposited into a safe holding place. You know what that means to me? When it comes to my broken prayers, my God is OCD. (laughs) 
He can't, it's not within him to not have to capture them because they mean so much to him. I don't care how broken your prayers are. They have been collected in heaven and God cherishes them. Keep praying, people. Keep praying. So let's keep going. What does all of this mean? It's really summing up and saying the king has arrived. The holy one is here. And according to these verses, there's only one fitting response when you encounter the worthy lion and the submissive lamb. And that's worship. It's worship. I don't care how you worship. Some of you may sing. Some of you may dance. Some of you may go for a walk in the woods. Some of you may sit quietly with your Bible open. I don't care how you worship. This verse is just instructing us. No matter what comes against you in your Monday through Saturday, the fitting response every moment, no matter how good it is or how bad it is, is to fall on your face at the throne room of God and worship both lion and lamb. It's a tool, it's a weapon for us as believers. So we join with them today. And we say, according to Scripture, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. We're going to unpack that scroll. 21 judgments, and they are scary. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. Do you remember what happened in Waco, Texas years ago? A young man named David Koresh had the audacity to say that he had the authority to open the seven seals of heaven. And we got to watch with broken hearts because of what happened. If you don't know, you may want to Google it. Heartbreaking story. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you get that picture? The throne in the center, 24 thrones and four living creatures on a crystal sea, a literal ocean of of glass. And around them, all of these people who've been purchased by God of every tribe, every nation, every language, every color. And there'll be no segregation. There'll be no racism. We will all be there unified together as a body, which means I will stand there with a Messiah warrior as my brother by my side, linked together to worship the King of Kings. And there'll be an Asian brother or sister standing beside me. And we will join arms, link up together as one family, one humanity, and worship the King. And there'll be a brother or a sister from India and a brother or sister from the Dominican Republic, and all of us together will be focused in the right place, and our hearts will be pure, because we'll be worshiping the King of Kings. I mean, I love this because it just basically says, look, when nobody else wanted us, God adopted us, and now we're here worshiping the one who set us free. Verse 10, you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. We'll talk about what that means in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, are you ready for it? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power 
and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all of them that were saying together. Before I read to you what all of creation will say, if you have ever dreamed of singing with a dolphin, if you have ever dreamed of having a worship session with a flock of eagles or a group of fish, if you've ever dreamed of singing with a humpback whale or with a tree or with a rock, this is going to be your opportunity. Because all of them in that moment will focus their praise towards their creator. And this is what they will say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever 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 and ever. 1115, help me out. And ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Some of you are like, is he always like this? I pray so. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Before we consider what is, Let's fully understand what is. Before we think about what will be, let's catch a greater glimpse of what is. Can I like your brain right now for a second? This is happening right now. Right this second in heaven, that's what's happening. And we can join them every time we worship, every time we pray, every time we understand a little bit more the lion and the lamb. We join with them and we put God in the center. If this doesn't compel you to share the life-giving story of Jesus this week, then I have wasted an hour of your life. You do me a favor, don't carry uh, the end is near sign this week. For the love of God, talk to the person that Jesus put next to you at work. For the love of God, give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. For the love of God, as the followers of God, open your mouth because he is worthy to be praised. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for this spiritual family that I love so much that one day I look forward to standing around that throne room. God, in the coming weeks as we open the seals and see what is awaiting those who reject you, I pray that we would come back to these words over and over again. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Father God, we love you today. May our hearts be compelled to share of this beautiful picture. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.